Well, we are in the second and last week of our mini-series called Mindset, which deals with some of the mindsets that we struggle with and how a few passages within Paul's letter to the Philippians helps show a way towards better mindsets in these areas of our lives. And this week we are going to talk about the mindset of worrying, the mindset of worrying, anxiety, things of that nature, anxious thoughts. And so as we jump into the message this morning, I have a question for all of you before we begin. How many of you have ever struggled with worry before? Okay, uh, most of you have struggled with worry before. Uh, how many of you are worried about something right now? How many of you are worried about the fact that as you raise your hand, someone might be looking and they might pick up on the fact that you're worried about something? Worry is probably the number one thing that most of us share in common. Now, the degree in which we worry and the things about which we worry may differ, but the reality is that likely all of us worry about something or some things in our lives. And there are a variety of factors that contribute to our worries. Uh, one is that we sometimes inherit patterns of worries from our families. Patterns of worry from our families. Uh, for example, when my wife Emma was in physical therapy school, one of the things I noticed is whenever she would be off studying with a group from school and I knew that she was going to be coming home at some point uh, that evening, I would constantly worry, when is she coming home? What time is she going to get here? Okay, what time is she going to leave? Okay, call me when you leave. Okay, she should be here by now. And I would go through this pattern of worrying about when she was going to arrive. Now, she could drive to school, she could spend the entire day of, at school, and I never would think about where is she now, what is she doing now. But when I knew, hey, she's coming home soon, the worry meter would go up. Now, where did I inherit that from? I inherited that from my mom, like all good moms. She worries when you are out and doing something. And I noticed this most profoundly when I went off to college. Don't worry, I'm throwing all my family under the bus this morning. <laughs> When I went off to college, I noticed that she wouldn't worry about what I was doing throughout the week. But the moment I said, I'm coming home, okay, call me when you leave so I know what time to expect you. And then when I would head back to school, okay, let me know what time you're going to get there. Let me know when you arrive there. And even to this day, when I travel from her house to somewhere out of town, she says, okay, call me when you get there. Let me know that you got there safe. And so I developed this pattern of worrying. Uh, because I saw it in a positive way in my own life growing up and when I went off to school. Now, there's also an OCD anxiety factor that I have uh, that I, I have to throw my dad under the bus for this one. If any of you have ever gone anywhere with me in public, you might notice that when I hop out of my car, I lock my car till the thing beeps. And then I walk about five steps and then I hit it again just to make sure and then I walk about five more steps, and then I turn to you, did I lock my car? And then I'll go about five more steps and go, I'm just going to go back and make sure. And so I'll go and I'll hit it like eight times just to be sure it locked. Now, my dad, I love him, but my dad is great about that. He will constantly check doors, 
twice, three times to make sure that they're locked when he's leaving the house. He, he makes sure that the certain lights are on every time that he leaves. He would probably be worried about the fact that I'm even sharing this with you. And it's a pattern of worry that is developed in my own life, and I think that we inherit those from different family members. Now, there's one. This is a minor one. I didn't struggle with this, but for a few days. But when I graduated college, uh, my Uncle Steve, who I love dearly, uh, he asked me about a week after I graduated, he said, have you had any dreams about not passing your last final or being a credit short and things like classic things that people have nightmares about right after they graduate. I was like, no, I haven't had anything like that. And then the next week, nothing but dreams about how I didn't graduate on time or I, I was late for that last final or I was one credit short. And I just sat there thinking to myself, thanks, Uncle Steve. That's great. We all have patterns of worry. We all have worries from time to time. And it is something that we all hold in common. Now, some of us are more prone to it. In fact, the Anxiety and Depression Association of America says that nearly one-fifth of the population suffers from anxiety disorders, making it the number one mental disorder in America today. And while there are a lot of personality factors that contribute to high levels of anxiety, high levels of worrying, uh, there are also several things that happen within our lives that contribute to those things. For example, if you've ever gone through the experience of losing a job, you might have experienced a higher level of stress, a higher level of anxiety. Whenever you, you might have moved to a new city, you might have struggled a little bit with worry. What's it going to be like? Will we fit in? Will we find a good new church home? Will we find the jobs that we need? Will the schools be good for the kids? Different things that contribute to our level of worry. Uh, for some of you, it might be when your child starts to drive or when your child goes off to college, the worry meter goes, woo, way up there. For others, it might be having a family member, perhaps an aging parent that is dealing with failing health and, and the extra burden that that creates on you and the extra worry that it generates within you. Now, some of the most common things that we worry about, uh, I break these down into three Fs, fall into the categories of family, finances, and future. Those three things are generally the things that we worry about the most. Uh, our family, uh, our finances, are we going to have enough to make it in our future? What does our health hold? What does our future look like? What will the world look like in five years? And th there is a good thing that is revealed by our worrying. The good thing that is revealed by our worrying is the fact that it shows us what we truly value. It shows us that we value something so much that we would take the time to worry about it, that we would take the time to be concerned about it. But it also shows us that it might be an area in our lives where we need to grow in our trust of God in those areas. Now, in our scripture this morning that we're going to look at from Philippians 4, we see Paul writing to the Philippians about this idea of worrying, about having anxious thoughts. And a little bit of context as we get to it, He's writing to the Philippian church, and he is currently, as he's writing this, in prison facing imminent execution. He has plenty of reason to worry, but he writes one of the most impactful passages you will ever read on worry and anxiety. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to join me in Philippians chapter 4. We're going to read verses 1 through 9. It will also be available on the screen. 
Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. I plead with Ioida and I plead with Sintuke to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. God. Now, within this passage, we see Paul talking to a church that he loves. That's one of the things that's very clear in Philippians. Is this is a church that he loves, that he cares about. They have partnered with him in the gospel mission. And he joins together in, in this closing section of Philippians... He joins together their, their mindset and their community, and he begins this passage with a little challenge to a couple of women within the church where there seems to be some division. By the way, I had anxiety all week that I would pronounce those names wrong, and I'm pretty sure I did. Uh, they, they're just kind of weird names that are a little out there. But he speaks to them first, and he encourages them to be of the same mind. And if you remember, for those of you who were here last week, That was a lot of what we talked about, having the same mind that's in Christ Jesus, thinking of others above yourself. And so in a way, he begins this passage by summing up some of what he has highlighted before. But what follows is he unpacks several key principles that help us to understand how to combat worry and anxiety. And if you have your message notes in your bulletin this morning, I invite you to follow along as we go through these principles today. The first is that joy is a choice. Now, the first thing that stands out is it's written in the imperative. It is written as a command. And so you might be thinking to yourself, how is it a choice if it's a command? He is urging them. He is saying, rejoice. It's imperative. I urge you to rejoice. In fact, he says, I will say it again, rejoice. But we know that within us, we have to make a choice to receive that command. We have to make a choice to live into that. And Paul encourages not once, but twice, rejoice. And he invites them to join in that theme of, in, of rejoicing. Now, one thing that is clear, if you think about the context in which this is written, is that joy is not circumstantial. Paul is writing this from prison. The people in this Philippian community more than likely didn't have very much. And they might, too, be worried about their own fate as they see Paul in prison, possibly facing execution. 
And so they really had no earthly reason to rejoice. It's not based on the circumstances in which we find here. It's, it's based on something bigger. First time I ever went out of the country, I went to Guatemala on a mission trip, actually with the, the youth group here at Martha Bowman. It was right before I started college. And as I was on that trip, our very first full day that we were there, we went to a church in a nearby community near where we were staying. And as we were on the way, we're riding through, and you, you see all sorts of poverty, and we, we parked the van, the bus that we were in, and we started walking up this hill, and we were going right by the houses of the people that we were going to be going to church with. And we're, we're looking in, and it's just poverty like we've never seen before. And we're looking, and, and we're, we're thinking to ourselves, this is going to be a pretty interesting experience to see what church is like here. And we go in, and it was interesting that the church was probably the nicest facility in this entire neighborhood. And we went in there, and we started to worship with this community. And everything's in Spanish. We don't understand a single thing that's going on, except for the fact that we realized that these people were absolutely joyful. They were dancing, they were singing, they were smiling, they were welcoming us with hugs. They were praising with all of their hearts. And I just remember sitting down in my chair and pulling out this little journal that I had. And I started to write in the journal my reflections about what I was seeing. And I was just thinking about as I was walking to this church building, all the poverty that I saw. All the things where they might have reason to complain. They might have reason to be anxious, to worry and what I saw instead was more rejoicing than I had probably seen up until that point in any church service I'd ever been a part of. And I remember reflecting with some of the missionaries after that service, and a couple of us brought that up. How are these people so joyful? And I'll never forget what one of the missionaries said. He said, some of these people aren't sure where their next meal is going to come from. But they gather every week, and every week for a few hours, it's like this. They rejoice. They rejoice. It's not about the circumstances. It's about a choice that they have made to respond to that command of rejoicing. And they live into it. And, and the worries of life seem to fade away as they rejoice in the Lord. Second principle that we see, and this is really the center of this entire passage, is that we shouldn't worry. Don't worry. Do pray. In verses 6 and 7, Paul says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And this is such a crucial part within this passage because it's saying, Stop doing this. Start doing this. Stop this, start that. Stop being anxious. Don't worry, but do pray. And our tendency is we tend to take control of everything that we can. And we try to control everything that we can. But what this calls us to do, what prayer invites us to do, is to surrender that control to someone who is bigger than our worries and bigger than our anxious thoughts. One of the best illustrations I ever saw about this was uh, Craig Rochelle, he's a pastor out in Oklahoma of a large church, 
he, he was talking about this passage, and he had several boxes on the platform with him. And one of them was this really large box, and he wrote God on the side of it, or the Lord. And he said, I don't believe in putting God in a box. And everybody kind of chuckles a little bit. He said, and this isn't really God, but this is just going to represent what this passage calls us to do. And he had all these other really small boxes. And on one of them, he had drawn a dollar sign. And on another one, he had drawn family members, a little family together. On one of them, he had drawn a symbol for help. And, and there, there were four or five different things that he had on these little boxes. And he said, this is what this passage invites us to do. And it, it was kind of cheesy, but he said, you, you take these things and you give them to the Lord. You take these things, these small things that we try to take control of, and you give them to the Lord. And he would actually literally take them and put them in the box. And as I was watching this illustration unfold, a, a few things struck me. God was big enough to handle all those things. And another thing struck me. If we try to hold all of those little things in our hands by ourselves, it's not possible. We, we lose our grip on them. We can't juggle all those things. But our tendency in life is that we try to take control of those things. When this passage calls us, surrender those things to God. The things that we're worried about, the things that we're anxious about, our finances, our future, our family, are, are important things. They're things that we value, but too often we, we cling to them and try to control them on our own when we ought to just give them over to the Lord. God is big enough to handle all of those things. And then the next principle that Paul highlights, uh, and this is a beautifully written verse, but he encourages them to develop healthy thinking. He says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And a lot of times what we do is we tend to, I, I used this term last week, catastrophize things. We start thinking of a negative thought, and it just spirals out of control. And it starts to take control of our entire mindset when we worry about things. And so when we worry about things, when we focus on the anxious thoughts, it's easy to lose control. You might have seen those commercials uh, there for, I believe, DirecTV. And it's about when you get rid of cable, or when you have cable, you feel powerless. And my favorite one is the one where the guy... It says, when you have cable, you feel powerless. And when you feel powerless, you take kung fu. And when you take kung fu, you become the black ninja. And when you become the black ninja, you walk across rooftops. When you walk across rooftops, you fall into dinner parties. Don't fall into dinner parties. Get rid of cable. And then it encourages you to sign up for DirecTV, which I'm sure will make you feel powerful, is the point of the advertisement. But that is the way that our thoughts work sometimes. It's that pattern of catastrophizing where one thing sets us off and it creates more and more and more anxious thoughts. And what Paul calls us to do is don't think about those things. These are the things that you need to think about. The true things, the noble things, the right things, the pure things, the lovely things, the admirable things. Focus our minds 
on praiseworthy things. And when we do, our mindset starts to shift and we start to have new patterns of healthy thinking. Many of us in this room have seen how that has played out even within our own community of faith. Uh, a few years ago, for those of you who have been around for a while, uh, a lot of people within the church were worried about many things. And, and we were consumed with anxious thoughts. What's our future going to be? What's our financial situation going to be? And I, I'm not sure exactly what the moment of shift was, but a, a couple of years ago, um, a lot of key people in the church said, we've dwelled on this long enough. Let, let's, let's not worry about that. Let's start thinking about what God has in store for us. And we started focusing our minds on the true things, on the praiseworthy things, on the noble things, the pure things. And by focusing our minds, it changed our entire mindset as a church and pointed us in a more healthy direction that we're now living into. And then finally, and this, I believe, is the most beautiful part of this passage. In verse 9, he has a very subtle phrase in there that I believe has a lot of truth for us. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, so basically everything that he has just gone over, put it into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. And this is what I believe. I believe that joy and peace are about Emmanuel. It's about that word, which means God with us. It's about realizing that in the midst of our worries, in the midst of our anxious thoughts, that if we focus our hearts on God, if we stop worrying and we start praying, if we, as we start surrendering our lives and the things that we try to control over to God, we are able to realize that he is in control and that he is near, and we don't have to be anxious about those things. In fact, in verse 7, it says the peace of God will transcend your hearts and minds, transcend your understanding, guarding your hearts and minds. But in verse 9, it shifts to not just the peace of God, but the God of peace. It's not just something that God offers. It's part of who God is. And God, the God of peace, the one that comes alongside us, the one that is with us, gives us the opportunity to live into joy and peace in our lives. Verse 5 has this beautiful little pause in it. It says, let your gentleness be evident to all, period. The Lord is near. The Lord is near. And when we start living our lives as though God is with us, as though the God of peace is with us, we don't have to worry about what our life holds when we know who holds it. We don't have to worry about what's going to happen next in our life when we know who controls it. There have been just a few times in my life that I've actually lived into what I'm talking about this morning. Uh, I am from, like all of us, a long line of warriors. But th there was one time I, I remember real distinctly, uh, in early 2007, uh, I had just started dating this pretty college student, and we were getting along really well, and I thought things were going pretty well. Uh, and then one afternoon, uh, I ran into her on the campus of UGA, and I knew something was wrong. And I knew she's going to try to break up with me. I mean, you just have these feelings that come over you sometimes. And, and as I thought about that, I was like, I don't want her to break up with me. 
And I started thinking of ways I could take control of the situation, but what I did instead was I prayed. And I, I just want to confess to you, there have been few times in my life that I've had this much sense of peace. So that later that night when she said, uh, I just don't know what we're supposed to do. I'm like, you want to break up with me? She goes, yeah. And so we started going through that, and I was calm. I was not trying to take control of the situation, which is very abnormal for me. And I, I sat there, and I just had this sense of peace that it was going to be okay. I had this sense of peace that it was going to work out. And probably because I didn't lose control of the situation, and probably because... Uh, I didn't absolutely lose my mind. And because I had such a sense of peace, things worked out. And then we got married. And it worked out really well. And it, it was, we were actually talking about this on our way uh, back into town yesterday from uh, going to the Georgia game. That that was a moment in which we actually put this into practice in our lives. And, and saw how when you surrender something to God, God can take control of it. When we get that sense that the Lord is near, that the God of peace is with us, it can transform our lives and, and make a huge impact. Uh, there's a story that was shared in one of our newsletters earlier this year. Jane Kennedy, who's one of our prayer warriors within the church, she attends the 11 o'clock traditional service. She was talking about one morning she was praying, and as she was praying, she just had the sense of peace. And as she was praying... She felt like the Lord was inviting her to share a thought with her son, David. And so she picked up her phone and she texted, which she says is a miracle enough in itself. And as the text went through, it went to her son, David. And it was just an encouraging word that the Lord had laid on her heart that day. And he wrote back and said, you know, I was about to walk into this extremely important business meeting. Uh, that's going to have a huge impact on my future. And, and that just gave me this sense of peace. When we live into God is with us, when we live into the God of peace is with us, it can have an impact not only on us, but on everyone around us. And the reality is, is that all of us more than likely are holding on to something today. Some of us are controlling multiple boxes don't want to give them up. And some of us are, are loosely hanging on to them. We're kind of letting God have part of it, and we're kind of trying to hold on to the rest, kind of trying to do a little tug-of-war thing. It doesn't work very well. And God's inviting us to surrender all of those things over to him. If we start to make our motto be, don't worry, do pray, when we start to think with the mindset, we don't have to worry about what our life holds when we know who holds it, when we start to live as though the God of peace is with us, we can let go of those things. We can surrender those things and let God do what God does best. And that's lead us and guide us and take care of all of our needs and all of our desires. And so this morning, I'm going to invite Owen back up to provide some background music for us. And as he comes, I want to invite you just to, to stay right where you're at in your seats and to spend the next 
couple of minutes before we go into our time of communion, praying about what is it that God might be calling me to surrender to him today? What is it that I'm worried about, that I'm holding on to within my life, that I need to turn over to the one who holds the universe in his hands? What is it today that God is calling you to stop worrying about and to start praying about and everything, surrendering it to the Lord, giving it to the Lord, each of those things that we try to juggle? I invite you to just spend the next few minutes praying and reflecting and asking the Lord to speak to your hearts so that the God of peace will be with you and it will be evident that the Lord is near. Amen.